This is the Straight Dope, episode 34. Recap of the NRL finale and thoughts on matches. So, I had originally planned to debrief just the match, and I realized that in the questions that I was getting from people, there were questions about other styles of matches and ways to test other skills. Knowing that I've got a diverse interest in all types of bolt gun shooting, carbine shooting, field shooting, I'm going to stretch this out across all of those. Now, that might not be your particular focus, but sometimes there's shooters out there that don't realize what's available, and I'm going to talk about some of the matches that I've done and some that I haven't, but look forward to shooting and why. So let's rewind to this last weekend, and I just want to give huge props to Caleb and Quigley putting on a kick-ass match and ending an era of the National Rifle League. The championships were this weekend, and I had a great time. I was fortunate to squad with some South African shooters and had a great time. One test that I like to do with shooters is to see, you know, how if they love shooting the way I love shooting. And and a cool way to do that, if you have the opportunity, is when the day of fire is done, I like to keep shooting, just like when when we're out climbing and horsing around and doing stuff. You know, the if, it, if it's not too dark, a lot of times I like to just keep doing it because it's fun. And just because we're not keeping score doesn't mean I'm not any less interested. In fact, I'm more interested without the score. I just like to go and shoot an unknown course of fire and test our skills. And so after day one, we went up and there was a stage and we just made our own uh, course of fire and kept shooting. And that carried over into day two when the day was done. We uh, ended up and we took the long range stage and uh, um, like a popper type, really narrow uh, stage. And we combined the two alternating shots between long range and narrow ass poppers with multiple positions and shooting off tripods and having fun and just laughing and, and getting a kick out of shooting and coming up with creative and extra ways uh, to go out and shoot. And those guys jumped right in and it took no convincing. Everybody was laughing, cheering each other on and having a great time just making up random things that we could do uh, after the after the formal stages were over. To me, that's why I fell in love with going to competitions. And to me, those are the type of people that I try to surround myself with, with shooting. It's not about... Um, you know, if, if, if it was just about measuring something, uh, measuring stuff is really easy to do. Right. And, but it's hard to measure fun, except that, you know, when it's happening, everybody's laughing, everybody's having fun, cheering each other on. People are genuinely happy when you're working together and other people are having success. And so I'm going to highlight another thing that I saw this weekend at this national two-day precision match that I hadn't really seen but have talked about in the past as wanting to find because I had heard so much about it. And that was squads really working together. This this was a probably like my first time seeing a squad of shooters balkanized based on how they called wind, how they thought about stages, and able to cross-communicate I'm going to, you know, I think I'm going to start with seven miles an hour. Instead of I'm going to hold right edge or left edge. There was a couple right edge, left edge folks, and they were working together. There was a couple, you know, I'm going to use rear bag 
or rear tripod, they started working together. A couple people started communicating in miles per hour. What do you think? What do you, you know, looking at the terrain and talking about before we went, you know, before anybody got up to shoot, like what, you know, what's the wind like where we're at? What do you think the effects of the terrain are? And, and then, you know, how are we going to approach this and offering up thoughts and ideas about how to approach the stage? And, and although I had heard that, you know, um, people have speculated that the top shooters, that's one of the reasons why they're so good. And, and I was a little skeptical about that, but I can't speak for them because I wasn't in squad number one. These guys were great shooters. In fact, they were, they were, they were fantastic shooters and, and I felt privileged to be shooting with them. We worked together and, and, and I think that all of our successes were kind of a group effort in that sense, because you can't separate performance and, thought processes of how you're going to make your wind call if you're being honest and genuine with each other, which with that, which I, I pure, 100% believe that we were all being honest and genuine with, with you know, the assessment of wind values that we were giving and, and then talking about it. And then whoever it was that was going first, uh, people were able to modify and adjust that knowing that these guys were good shooters. So when they missed, it wasn't because uh, they were shooting at targets that were too small or, or, or one reason or another. You kind of knew that when they shot you knew they were thinking, okay, I'm going to start with seven miles an hour. I'm going to start with 10 miles an hour. And you knew that when the shot was center, that, you know, seven or 10 miles an hour was probably a good hold. And then you could compare environmental conditions and all the stuff that you had been talking to see whether you think it's going to be consistent with that. If you're three or four shooters later or not, that dynamic was, was amazing. And you could, you could literally, I mean, you know, the, the neurobiology, the, the, the science explanation for that is that you're having fun. And so there's a massive dopamine release and that dopamine encourages you to keep doing it, right? Anything that you like, that's usually why you keep do, doing it. And you could feel it. I mean, it was a tangible, palpable, fun factor that the squad had together and everybody was having a good time. You could feel the disappointment when somebody had a bad stage, but that generally turned right around and then they had a good stage uh, following that. That was really cool. And that type of camaraderie and fun that lasted from the first stage till after the last stage. And then again on day two, from the first stage until after the last stage, you know, after both courses of fire days, we just kept continuing to shoot. And I probably shot an extra 20 rounds um, or more just dicking around and having fun. And that is indicative of a good time and something that you want to continue to do. So it makes me sad that it's over, but it also makes me excited to try to take that template and, and continue to apply it in that format of match where in the past, uh, you know, the squad or the, the behavior was, was not, not quite as conducive to that. And I think that, that the individuals play a part in that. And, and certainly, um, I can work towards trying to make that more fun and informative. It was, it was really cool. Now, my introduction to shooting was through team matches, and you always have that kind of dynamic with team matches, which makes it fun to begin with and easy to want to come back to. Um, Competition Dynamics is an outfit in Colorado that runs matches in New Mexico, Colorado, and Wyoming. They've gone to other states, and they, although they have individual matches, they specialize in team matches, and they are all very fun. So, the fun factor I've experienced in other matches, but not the style of match where people sometimes uh, 
feel competitive and 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 don't want to really share what's actually happening and 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 uh you know that that kind of measuring contest is so far from anything i'm interested in that you know when i see somebody give somebody a bad wind call or not want to talk about what they did or something like that uh it makes me realize that that particular aspect isn't something i want to be a part of or or uh, promote whatsoever but you can have that in in anything uh having seen how it worked well this last weekend. Competition dynamics matches are fun because not only are you working with your partner, but other teams are encouraging other teams and cheering each other on because the stage design is so spectacularly fun and the community is really positive and supportive. It's a smaller community, but if you're looking for a match to run with a friend that's challenging and and assesses uh, a variety of skill sets, let me talk about uh, the 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 range of events that they offer probably the most fun and easiest to access is the burris team challenge the burris team challenge is a three-day event and teams of two one of them shoots a bolt gun and one of them shoots a gas gun and both of both partners need pistols and and uh there's like a hunter style field course where you uh, run up to a stage and you have to locate range and engage. Gas gunner gets unlimited rounds and bolt gunner gets one shot per target. And the, what's cool about this is that their field course has a start time and a stop time. So you have a par time for the entire course. How long you take at every shooting station uh, isn't really factored in. What's factored in are your hits and your overall finish time for those courses. So you have to be fast and the misconception is that you have to be really fit to to do this and to do well at this. And you really honestly don't, you just need to be able to communicate, have fun and hustle, you know, to, to your ability to hustle so that you're faster. If teams catch up to you, they can pass you. And, and that might slow down your overall finish time because if a team passes you going to a shooting stage, uh, then you, or if you're shooting and a team catches up, then you have to get off and let them shoot. So, there is a little bit of strategy to hustling, but that doesn't happen very often. M- most often, uh, everybody's laughing and having a great time. And people that are slow, they understand that they're slow, and they're more than happy to let another team pass them. And that is good. So you do one of those courses a day, so there's three of them. And then a few hours later, you have a part-time where you come back and do what they call assault stages or, or other team stages where they're more like run and gun, uh, communicate, and an example of a course of fire might be a few hundred yard kind of jog up of up a single track trail with paper targets uh, on both sides of that. And one partner might run up the trail with the other partner behind them shooting the paper. And then when they finish the pistol, they ground their pistol. The partner from behind comes up with their carbine or a pistol or something else, and then they shoot their course of fire. Or you might run in tandem where you go up the trail, but one person shoots target on the right, some person shoots target on the left. Other examples are reading uh, cards that are blind descriptions of the targets that they're supposed to shoot, and the other partner has to find the target with that descriptor on it or a a backer or placard that has uh, either a face or a symbol drawn. Um, All sorts of random unknown challenges where you shoot and communicate with your partner with your pistol carving bolt gun in kind of random unknown ways that are unique. And the guys that put that on are experienced and they're good at coming up with non-traditional tests or at least less traditional tests. 
But what I noticed, having done that, uh, I, I ran that, and um, every team was having fun and laughing. And that's not something that you see at a, most precision rifle matches. People, you know, they're either kind of having fun or they're having a bad day. And uh, but at these matches, everybody is laughing and celebrating and having a great time. And it's pretty much the theme of the event is enthusiastically shooting and having a good time. And then afterwards, you know, people congratulate folks that did well. But across the board, I think even the teams that come in last leave with a sense of success and fun and look forward to coming back the next year. Another team match that's like that, but a little less um, fast pace is the Team Safari down in New Mexico, where you locate range and engage targets as a team. Gas gunner gets unlimited rounds, shoots half the targets. Bolt gunner gets one shot per target. So communicating data drop. And those stages are timed. And then the transition between the stages is not timed. And so you uh, you get a start time and you walk the course and you get assessed on your impacts. And, and that's it. That also runs three days. And they also have field assault style courses that are very similar where you run around and shoot stuff and laugh and make fun of each other. And, and uh, other teams sit there and cheer you on. And it's a really, really good time. Uh, I don't think that... It's they're they're not huge matches where you get two hundred people there. Uh, it's it's a smaller community, but that community is pretty strong and supportive across the board. So if you're nervous about performance, those are great matches to go to because nobody cares at all, and they'll encourage you and laugh. If you're trying hard and having fun and laughing, man, people are going to be psyched for you to come back, and you're going to want to come back because people genuinely just want you to have fun and do a style of shooting that you don't see very often. Now, if you really want to start testing yourself and your ability to locate range and engage targets with a single shot, the Steel Safari is an individual event that kind of walks that same course of fire where you locate range and engage six targets uh, with a single shot each, hit or miss. And, and that's very challenging for the individual, and it's cool and um, much more competitive. And because you don't really see people, you know, it's not so much of a laughing and and cheering and having fun, but it's the same group of people and, and the shooters RO each other. So you get to see a couple of folks uh, throughout the day off and on. It's very supportive. And, and um, you know, I can't emphasize that enough that people are really trying to genuinely encourage you on ways that you might be able to train and improve for the next year. But unfortunately they only run it once a year. So you got to wait a whole year between each of those events. But uh, when I first went, uh, one of the guys that was in front of me and then the next day behind me has been doing it for over 20 years and he had a lot of great advice for, for ways to improve. And then afterwards, everybody laughs about the ones that they found and didn't find and it's pretty cool. Those are very supportive. And then on the physical end of it, they have a, a kind of a unique match. It's the Sniper Adventure Challenge. It's not, it, it, they call it an adventure race with guns. It, it's really not a shooting contest at all. You, you get to shoot a little bit, but the shooting is really not hard and it's really a tiny fraction of the event in itself. Basically, it's like a wander around with a map and compass carrying all your shit for a couple days contest where, um, you know, if you can land nav pretty good and you can walk pretty far all, all day and all night, then you'll have fun. And then throughout that, you'll run into unique challenges uh, that are different every year. So you can't even predict it. There are podcasts out on the Sniper Adventure Challenge where people talk about their 
event that year and debrief them. I listened to a bunch of those before uh, we did our first one. And although it was cool to listen to, you know, every every year is different. If you train based on last year's, you're going to do worse than if you just get yourself able to carry a backpack for two days walking around. And uh, the theme of that really is land navigating and walking. So it's more of a hiking contest than it is anything else, but it is very fun. And there aren't a lot of hiking contests out there uh, where you can shoot and do random things. Uh, Some of the random things are more fun than others, but you can opt out of the ones that you don't particularly like if you wanted to opt out on those challenges. And it's pretty cool. They, They don't get super huge, but it is very challenging physically and mentally to put out. So I, I like that, you know, it, it's uh, close to the kind of stuff that I like to do before shooting. So uh, that plays to my strengths more than the precision shooting stuff. And fortunately, that's not a precision shooting event. Um, so you can do pretty well uh, if you have field experience or you just like to you know train by walking around all year. So there are other matches. I haven't been to it, but the WTRC, I think, in Wyoming sounds like a variant, like an extreme variant of the Steel Safari, or not Steel Safari, the Burris Team Challenge, where teams of two with a carbine and bolt gun pistols run and shoot targets using those various platforms, but at like a massively elevated round count for three days. And it sounds super fun. Everybody that does Burris asks if you're going to do the WTRC, and I haven't done it yet. Sounds to me like the core people that do that love it even more. They say it's like the ultimate event. And it sounds like in the past there used to be more events like that, but they've been slowly dying out as shooters kind of specialize into little subcategories. But as that happens, some of the outlaw and different style matches don't get the attendance or the... um, or or the advertising that, that you might need. And it would be a shame if events like that went away just because only 50 people do them every year because that's the kind of fun and excitement that adds to coming up with more ideas and maybe bringing those ideas to other competitions instead of just saying, you know, in 60 seconds, we're going to shoot 12 targets that are super tiny. Like that's cool. There's a place for that. But there's also, I think the misconception that somehow a precision match as the canned precision style shooting is somehow better or, or, or says something more about somebody's marksmanship. And I think that, you know, it's one dimension of shooting, but somebody that's good at that can't really say that they're good at shooting unless they do it at all styles and do good. And, and some of them might be, but some of them are definitely lacking in some skill sets. Uh, but that's not to say like I think Morgan King would be great at all of them. But but I do think that if you want to be a well-rounded shooter and you want to epitomize kind of the rifle craft mindset, then you need to be able to go to any style of rifle competition and perform well, not just one. And if you perform well at just one, you can speak to that style, but you have no business at least speaking credibly about the other styles. And so if you want to have kind of that that street cred, you kind of have to have placements in all of them, which means going and seeing which ones you like and which ones you don't and and working on the things that you're weaker at so that you can elevate your skill and and you get it. I talk about it a lot. I think that's really cool. Another event, uh, it sounds like Texas has a lot of them, but but are running guns where you actually like run distance 
And along that, you stop and shoot various courses. They sound super, super fun. And it sounds like an awesome way to introduce carbines and bolt guns to kind of an elevated, almost sports-like mindset and outlet. And I think that that is a, a, a future option that should be expanded on in shooting and, and um, kind of the sportsy element. Shooting is not a sport as far as I'm concerned. Uh, because I think that the the psychological loops that you run are more kind of skill based than they are physical uh, motor coordination based, right? They're a little bit more cognitive than they are um, kind of the motor neuron activities, and that's kind of how I personally distinguish between the two. But when you start to combine those, and you start to get the kind of three gun style movement and reflexivity of of, of physical movements combined with accuracy with these long guns, then I think that, um, you know, that that's a niche that could be filled. And it seems like pistol shooters and carbine shooters for that close range kind of reactive shooting is, is it kind of a farther ahead in the game than the bolt gunners and stuff. But it'd be cool to see that. And I'd like to keep trying that. Uh, some things are preventing me right now from going out and trying some of those, but they look really cool. And my guess is that that's a kind of a positive, enthusiastic community as well, because when I've been involved in ultra running or adventure racing, that community is really positive and encouraging across the board anyway. So I imagine that, that some of those people cross worlds back and forth, and, and, and I can't imagine that not being fun and encouraging. Uh, but looking into those running guns are uh, something that I'd like to do. And I think that, that if more shooters tried them and thought about ways to cross that run and gun mentality back into bolt gunning, it would be pretty cool. Like I've heard people talking about bringing a mountain bike biathlon to Colorado where you, where you, you know, ride a mountain bike around. I don't like riding mountain bikes really, but the fact that somebody's thinking about bringing 22s and doing a biathlon with, with mountain bikes and 22 sounds pretty freaking awesome. And, and just the idea of doing anything different to test your skills, to see if your skills can maintain throughout those different applications. That's a true test of a marksman, not, you know, can I shoot this same course of fire, you know, 20 times a year. That means that you got that course of fire pretty dialed, but it doesn't say much about your uh, overall skill set. And uh, like it would if we changed the scenarios and you were able to maintain that high level of performance. I think you get the theme of this is that I like unknown and mixed up challenges, not doing the exact same thing day in and day out. Now, you might say, well, that's what, what about the rifle craft stuff? That's shooting paper the same way over and over again. And that's true. Uh, I mix, I do change the heights. Like I don't, I don't set it from, you know, I don't, I don't set my tripod to 60 inches and always shoot at 60 inches and 40 inches and 20 inches or whatever. You know, I put it somewhere standing and I figure out where too high is too high and too low is too low. And I mix it up because I want to have that fundamental skill set of being able to apply the same forces to my rifle so that then I can work higher and more interesting skills beyond that. And I do think that Underneath it all, you have to have that baseline before you can start stacking in other skills on top of it. Doesn't mean you can't learn it, but you can't really know how good you are at that other stuff until you have that fundamental baseline really dialed in and repeatable and consistent day in and day out. So 
those are some events that I think are pretty cool. I have tried the NRA silhouette shooting, which I think is so freaking fun. Now, the people that you know I met were a little bit weird, but everybody's kind of weird in, in their little niche. I mean, shooters are fucking weird people, right? So, um, but that's cool. And you find a community that you fit into and have fun with. And this NRA silhouette shooters, you know, shoot a little series of animals. And to get a point, you have to actually knock it off the, the thing that it's standing on. So you could get a hit and it could spin it. But if it doesn't, like, knock it off its stand, then you don't get a point, which is hilarious because shooting offhand is hard as F. And I got the floor wiped with me. And I had so much fun and got a lot of respect and interest and motivation to keep doing that uh, NRA offhand. I, I did it with a twenty two. And I think it's just cool as hell. And, and if you want to try something different that's hard, but completely different community, get your butt kicked by a 90-year-old man with, like, medals from, like, World War II to the present. Um, those are the kinds of matches that, that you want to go to. Uh, and, and to me, that was really fun and revealing as to the application of a, of a variety of skill sets in a variety of settings that you want to try to maintain at a high level. And I don't think that, um, you know, if you can do it with a 22, you can't necessarily do it with a center fire. And if you do it with a center fire, you can't necessarily do it with a 22. I think if you have high levels of skill, you should be able to cross all platforms, rifle weights and calibers and perform reasonably well, but you got to test that to see where your strengths and weaknesses are. Because some rifles, you know, I shoot a carbine really well, for, for longer range stuff. I'm not like extremely fast with one, but, but I, I shoot my carbine from 100 to 600 yards, probably better than my bolt gun, faster than my bolt gun, and just as accurate uh, as my bolt gun. But um, you know, after that, ballistics start to come in, and, and then statistically, hit probability goes down just because of the projectile and the velocities that you get out of these carbines. Now, uh, the super fast three-gun style stuff, I haven't uh, done enough competitions to know, but uh, I can drive a 22 really well. But that anything that I've done with a 22, I have noticed has no imp- impact or influence on how I drive my carbine or bolt gun, uh, centerfire bolt gun. So I'm I'm, not, I'm pretty darn skeptical as as training with a 22 for centerfire versus just you know train for what you're going to do with what you're going to do it with. I think you're going to make gains better than. But if you have good fundamentals and good fundamental capabilities, they should cross over. Uh, so, um, so that's kind of a, a, a coin toss there. Like, yeah, if you, if you train good fundamentals, it should carry over. But if you're training with one and you get good results, that doesn't necessarily mean that your fundamentals will carry over because you might be getting good results without good fundamentals. Right. And, and that's why I think revisiting your impact, the inputs and outputs on the rifle system is more important than just saying, "Is my, do I have an agree? Am I pulling the trigger on my respiratory pause? Do I have a good, solid, you know, sight picture? Uh, and, you know, what, what, whatever the list of fundamentals that you apply to, because I think a good shooter could demonstrate excellent fundamentals and blow shots. And I think a, 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 another good shooter could hit the target all the time and, and, and demonstrate what appears to be shitty fundamentals. And the argument always has to go to repeatable impacts justify they're doing something right. So I'm not going to get into that debate other than, you know, impacts matter. 
and, and, and you shouldn't have to argue the other way around. But if you can't carry it over between platforms, the person that can do it better across more platforms is a better shooter, period. So one guy that cleans one match every year but can't do well anywhere else isn't as good of a shooter, I think, as somebody that gets you know, third place everywhere all the time. I think that person would be the one that I would go to for shooting advice over the you know one guy that does well at their uh, at their at their favorite spot, and that's just because you can learn to wire and master specific um, you know specific shooting ranges or shots and props and techniques and tricks to look for that that give you an advantage, but it's not a skill advantage. It's just learning the tricks. And not sharing them with other people so that you can always perform that. But, but, but those people, they know that and they'll be afraid to go demonstrate it elsewhere. And so uh, some of those guys, you know, being one trick ponies, um, that's where you start to see some ego stuff come out. And again, like a really good test for that is to get people to shoot and have fun without it being scored. And, and when the course of fire is done, you know, instead of, you know, hurrying over to Facebook to look at practice score, do they still want to stay out and shoot with you for the day and laugh about it and have fun and then talk about other stuff? Uh, that That is a good sign that they're doing it for the right reasons, or I guess that's not fair to say right reasons, but for the same reasons that I want to. I want to become a better shooter. I want to surround myself with people that want to become better shooters. And in the long run, that type of person is going to be better anyway and maintain that enthusiasm. So those matches to me are vital to the well-roundedness of a marksman and they're available and ones that I have planned to go to one because it's my weakness the the PR you know in, in the last four years I think I've shot um, 13 maybe 14 uh, precision matches like between the NRL and the PRS so so like basically like you know in the last four years I shot as much as some of the top guys do in a single season uh, but it's a weakness and I've avoided it uh, for for a lot of the reasons that I just stated and I realized that avoiding it is reinforcing behaviors that I don't like and so by by going to more um not only does it develop the behaviors and the patterns, but it also uh, helps me work on my weaknesses. So I'm going to go out to K&M and, and uh, shoot, shoot that precision match. And I'm really excited about it because that's a match that gets those top shooters. And it's really fun to see good shooters do their thing and their element. And I have no idea what it's like to shoot in the South with the thick mirage and the quick bar times and the small targets. Like I'm really excited. I know it's a weakness and I can't wait to get my butt kicked and have a huge list of notes on my matchbook on things to work on out here because it's just like the idea of super heavy mirage that just doesn't happen in Colorado and flat ranges like they don't really happen in Colorado with lanes cut out and 60 second or 75 second or 95 second par times with tiny little targets can't really put tiny targets out here in Colorado because we get wind fluctuations of like 15 miles an hour like nobody would hit anything so I think it'd be really fun to see, um, and it and it sounds so unusual that I got to see it firsthand. And then another one is the um, Guardian matches. I've never heard anything but positive results about. So I signed up for a Guardian match uh, because I I think it, it you know it's just a 
sounds like a great match for a good purpose, and it sounds like people really enjoy that, and, and I got to see that firsthand. And then there are some carbine matches that are series on the East Coast that are kind of moving west, and I think some of those are going to come out, and and I'm a huge fan of shooting carbines, like the, the precision-style carbine shooting, or at least fast, but not you know super close carbine shooting. Um, you know, shooting carbines... 25 yards and in is a totally different game than, than, you know, 50 yards and out. And so I, I'm really into the 50 yards and out carbine shooting. And, um, you know, just, just my life is not built around the idea of like CQB and defense and offense with a firearm. I don't work with a firearm. And, and in the future, you know, being a you know, late middle-aged male, I don't, that's just not something that, that, you know, I don't have any whatever, you know, but, and, and it seems like there are different communities of people that really enjoy, uh, that stuff. And, and for me and my lifestyle, like the going out in the field and out in the mountains and being able to use it hunting and, and exploring around and just kind of expanding that knowledge and the skill set to me, longer range, uh, is, is a little bit more appealing than, than the closer range stuff. So those are some matches that I plan on going to. And a lot of it just comes down to a, they're different skill sets that measure different things. And so as a personal assessment of, you know, are you a good marksman? You're a good marksman if you can do good at all of those, but you've got weaknesses if you can't. And if you're afraid to go try it, that is a good reason to go try it, right? Because you're afraid of finding out that you have stuff to work on. Well, if you're afraid of finding out that you have stuff to work on, but you want to figure out how to do it kind of privately, go shoot a rifle craft drill and you'll realize right away that you probably have fundamental issues to work on and that, uh, you know, all your wind work may have been completely undermined by the fact that you were missing, not because of wind, but because of your own fundamentals. So first go assess your fundamentals, then start layering in wind. And if you want to find out where the mental and, other weaknesses that you have, you got to go to a match. And the best and cheapest way to do that is go to a club match. And you'll find out right away that as soon as the clock starts, a lot of the things that you're aware of, but don't have that, uh, that, that subconscious or less conscious access to, uh, you lose the ability to access that stuff on a clock. When the clock's over, you go, oh, crap, I didn't do this and this and this. But on the clock, your brain freezes up. So I've been investing a lot of time reading primary journals in articles uh, focused on that in, in, in uh, the literature, the scientific research. And, and of course, they're not studying shooters or anything like that. But, but the cognitive, developmental, and neurobiological uh, tests that have been done to show you know, when, when these kind of brain lockups and freezes happen, you know, how do you, how do you test them? And then also how do you get over them? And there's been a, a tremendous amount of research, uh, since I kind of left academics, um, 17 ish years ago, uh, that, um, is really fun to go back and read. Cause in the last 17 years, the, the amount of literature that's exploded is unbelievable. And some of the studies are fantastic. And I think that they have direct application to shooting because I do believe that most of the shooting that we're doing with center fires and people that are interested in rifle craft, most of that applies to this cognitive and neurobiological processes, not the physical ones. And I was a little bit 
wrong at first, I got to admit, but now I'm seeing that, that that is where the expansion is going to be. And that's really the skill sets that it's testing. And a lot of these tests have been done in peer and published in peer reviewed journals. So now it's time to take that, you know, rather than just saying like, oh, here's the science, because the science doesn't mean anything if you can't use it and put it to use and apply it. And so that's what I really like is that you, know, you read the science, but so what, right? Okay, it is what it is. You could show, you know, gravity affects a bullet. Great. Wind affects a bullet. Great. But what can you do with it? That means you got to take that knowledge and harness it in behavioral changes and behavioral techniques that allow you to show it with elevated scores. And a cool way to do it isn't just to do it for yourself, but to convince other people to do it and say, look, hey, you know, if, 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 if this huge percentage of people that do these things get better, this might be a good reason for you to do these things if you want to get better instead of just go to a match and you'll get better. Go to a match and you'll get better because that behavior, I can tell you for sure, is not the way to get better. But we got to prove it by example. So I will be out there testing things at all of the different styles that I can to show that, that um, you know, A, I'm getting out there to find my weaknesses. And then when I come home, grab these journal articles and try to dissect how to put what they've learned or prove that this is what happens, how do you actually develop techniques to capitalize on that and grow from it? That, that, that's, that's a real challenge, but I think that the start is to start logging riflecraft drills and thinking about the elements that you're good at, the elements that you're weak at. Good at, you can show. Weak at, just go to a club match. Make a list. Why'd you miss your target? Where'd you go wrong? And just start making long lists of the things that you screwed up and mark down what you do good, mark down what you don't do good, figure out what the, what the base of that has to be. If it's fundamentals, you got to work that worse first. If it's time, gear management, efficiency, then you can layer that stuff. A lot of that into dry fire doesn't require going to the range. If it's wind, you have to send bullets down range, but you also have to measure it and assess it with a fresh wind call every time, right? And, and that's very hard for people to do. So that's why I think it's a higher level skill and it requires going out into the unknown and doing these unknown shooting things. But once you take a shot or two, you know, like these, like these matches, you know, if you, your first round says a lot, it would be cool to see first round statistics on shooters and their placement at matches or their hit percentage overall because your first shot you could shoot a 90%, right, and still miss all of your first shots. But, but what you learn from that first shot plays a role in how you perform on the, other, on the other shots. But if you get a high hit percentage on your first shot, then your wind reading ability is very good, right? Your correction ability is very good if you miss all your first shots and make your second shots. And then time management and crossing and bridging the gap between different angles and different distances, well, that's combining the two, but you're really only getting a wind reading call or any wind information from your first shot at a given angle. And so uh, beyond that, it's other skill sets that's being tested. So break down your skills to wind reading, follow-up correction. Can that carry over to distance? Can you efficiently rebuild and break positions? Can you transition your data from one target to the next? Can you regress? So I noticed that I had a mental block or a mental mistake where 
I did great going out, but then I had to come back in. And the way I was managing my data, I didn't um, factor in reversing my wind calls coming back because I had too much to think about given the game plan that I had. So that was a mental mistake and something that rather than not doing it again because I screwed up, I'm going to double down and carry it over so that I can continue to work that because I don't want to have weaknesses. But that was a weakness that even though it made perfect sense, here's my data, it walks out, so I'm just going to reverse that. But I had it written down as walk out. And when I came back in, I I kept walking out my wind call instead of reversing it. And it sounds so simple, but it's one of those cognitive loopholes that I got stuck into because I hadn't practiced it. I didn't think about it. I kind of took it for granted. And you can't um, really catch yourself and test yourself unless you put yourself in that position of being on a clock on an unknown course of fire and you have to do it your first try. You can't, you know, if you go to the range, let's, I bet you've all done this. Like you go to the range and you forgot to zero your rifle. So, so you, you shoot it and then you realize, Oh crap. And then you spin your turret to zero, right? That's a mental mistake, but you don't, there's, there's like, you don't learn from that. Like you would, if you did that on a stage, like check your turrets, Great, check your elevation. Great. But you probably do a lot of things at your home range that would cost you points at a match, but you don't identify that because it's not costing you points. So there is a lot of incentive to going to a match, you know, as cheaply and efficiently as possible and with the the least amount of kind of negative because you don't want you, you need to have negative to stimulate growth but you can't have too much, right? So if you have like 15% failure, I think that's like the going rate now for optimal learning. And so like, how do you go and have 15% failure and 85% success? Well, you, you, you know, sometimes you can have more. So you got to have ways to think about it as 85% success, 15% uh, failure. I think a local club match is the best way to do it. I think it's the most responsible. I think it's the most efficient. I think it's the most community building. It's way more laid back. It's way less like the, has less of the negative stuff that you see. And it promotes you learning about your abilities so that you can take that away and then go train, right? No training takes place at a match, but, but learning does learning what you need to work on after the match. And so that's what I think is, uh, was worth talking about today is, are those takeaways and what you can learn and that, 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 that the diversity that you have will reflect your development as a shooter. If you restrict the diversity of style that you shoot, you're going to stunt your growth. Absolutely. Right. So don't stunt your growth. Try it all. Do it all. Learn where you need to grow. Learn what you're good at. You know, pat yourself on the back, but don't forget to go out and try things that push you and deliver you to a certain amount of failure. Now, if you're having like 50% failure, that's too hard. And I wouldn't go back like if it was that much failure because you're actually probably not going to grow from it. And then that's just a waste of time and money. But, the, but of course, that's just my opinion on that. But um, if you want to learn and grow and continue to learn and grow, uh, the, the scientific approach to that would be to have about 85% success, 15% failure, and, and you want to have as much diversity and unknown, kind of be surprised by the course of fire as possible every time that you go. So until next time, uh, go and uh, start logging targets on Riflecraft. If you want to support it, get a membership and support this. I know 
Over 10,000 people have listened to the podcast and continue to listen to the podcast. And, and most of those people are not subscribers, but, but it really does help to support by uh, getting a membership at Riflecraft because not only does it fund the podcast, but it funds the site and future developments. And, and you know, just juicing content out of a podcast is fine. It's free. And, and that's not the point, but it does show that you're voting with your wallets. And in the end, where the money goes, grows. And by supporting the podcast, it'll continue to deliver content to you guys and thoughts and ideas that may help you guys grow as shooters if you put it into application. So uh, if you're feeling generous, please go to riflecraft.com and get a subscription.